We've been talking about foundations for identity. And, uh, and I'm just going to show you a quick slide this morning. Angelo, sometimes a picture is worth a thousand words. Just this, this one slide reviews where we've been for the last five weeks, all right? Go ahead and put that up there. All right. All right? Now, if you miss the first four weeks, that covers it all right there, all right? No, but I, we've been, uh, and go ahead and take it off so that everybody doesn't get more enjoyment out of it than they should. All right. So here's the deal. We have been, we have been unearthing major, major themes in just a couple passages of Scripture that all goes back to our identity as people. And, and this is huge because how many of you know if you, if you have a wrong identity on the inside about who you are, you will mess up on the outside about how you live? Because your identity determines your actions and how you, what you believe about yourself and what you, what you understand to be true about who you are determines your destiny. And I share with you before, the, the, to me, the greatest catastrophe of life is that you would actually waste the one life you've been given on planet Earth for such a time as this. Can anybody say amen? Why would you want to waste your life? Why would you not go to the author of your life and figure out the manufacturer's handbook on who you are and how he's created you? So let me just personalize this for Ron Johnson. I encourage you to do the same for you. Ron Johnson, okay? I understand from Genesis chapter 1, I'm created and I'm not an accident. Now, this is huge because what this means is God had intentionality in shaping my life. He made me in a certain way for a purpose. He is the master designer. I'm not an accident. Now, half, half the population out there, if they believe in evolution, they got no foundation for anything. They are a big cosmic accident that's going nowhere and has no meaning or purpose. And we wonder why young people are suicidal. Purpose matters. Meaning matters. Identity matters. And when you believe a lie, you end up in the wrong place. So I am created. Ready for this? I am a masterpiece. There's only one of me. This is why, this is why, why do we spend time hugging each other and all that kind of Do you know that the people around you have never been on planet Earth and there will never be anybody exactly like them on planet Earth? If, the, if it goes on for another millennia, there will never be the person sitting next to you. You're sitting next to a masterpiece. You're like, oh, I thought I was sitting next to my uncle. No, he's a masterpiece. <laughs> I mean, I want this to sink in. What if we woke up, looked in the mirror, and realized you're the only you that ever has existed or ever will exist? So when someone says you're special, they mean it in the full sense of the word. You're special. There's nobody like you. You're a masterpiece. Now, I ask this question again. How did you become a masterpiece in a world apart from God where everything happens by accident? Last time I checked, masterpieces are the work of genius that takes much time and skill to perfect. You're not an accident. You're a masterpiece. You have a purpose. You're one of a kind. And, and, and let me, I'm going to drive it home here. I am a male, which means that's a huge part of my identity. My biology, my creation determines my destiny and my identity. God did not design me with a masculine body 
so that I could be a girl. He gave me a masculine body so that I could express my manhood for his glory. Now, let me just say something here. Let me just say something here. If you're, if you're confused and you're dealing with gender confusion on the inside, the first step out is to embrace your body and ask the Lord to help you understand what it means to be a man or what it means to be a woman. Now, let me just clarify something. When I say I am a man, I am not the template for manhood. Every man in this room, we share certain qualities of what it means to be masculine or male. But every one of us in this room is unique in our expression of manhood. For instance, we saw men on this stage who were passionately leading worship, who have great vocals, who are playing guitars, pounding on drums, writing music, uh, creating, you know, uh, dramas or plays or whatever. In other words, incredibly artistic. And then I had guys out in the field I'm watching all weekend that are heavy equipment operators. This guy's walking by. He can hardly move his upper body because there's muscles on top of muscles. And he's walking with his boots through the parking lot. And I'm like, there's another picture of manhood. But everybody doesn't look the same. There are people that are entrepreneurs. There are people that are skilled with their hands. There are people that are skilled with their brains. There's people that have, every man in this room expresses your masculinity differently, but you're still a male, and that's what we share in common. It's the same thing for every woman in this room. There's no cookie cutter with women, but you have to embrace the fact God made you a woman, and then you lean into what that means to be a woman of God. So I've got four sons. I encourage every one of my sons, be a man of God. You're unique, but you're going to express your masculinity. Well, what is that? It means you're called to be strong. It means you're called to lead. You're called to love. You're called to use your strength to serve other people. This is what it means to be a man. My daughters, no, you're not supposed to look like a boy or act like a boy. You're not a boy. You're a beautiful daughter. Thank God for you. Maximize the beauty of your femininity. Learn how to move in a, as a feminine creature created by God for his glory which means we raise boys and we raise girls differently because they've been designed for different purposes. Now, when we raise them differently, we're not imposing some false thing on them. We're feeding their identity that God designed them to be instead of causing confusion in their lives by telling them something that they're not. And so there are things I did with my boys that I did not do with my girls and vice versa because I understand their biology determines their identity and their destiny. This is so basic. Let me just tell you, I am not concerned about this whole transgender movement that seems to be taking over the planet because, listen, it is so fundamentally flawed and irrational and, and, and demented that it cannot stand for very long before the whole thing falls down like a house of cards. Let me just say this. The problem with our medical community today is you have, instead of supporting the scientific revolution, you've joined the sexual revolution. So you're embracing things that are anti-scientific and have no business in the field of medicine simply because you rejected God and now you're joining a different revolution of which God is having no part in. So let me just tell you, 
As a male, I am called to express my sexuality in a masculine way, which is why, as I shared with you last week, I was never intended to relate sexually to another man. In fact, God calls it an abomination. Abomination is the strongest word in the Bible used for God's rejection of a behavior, not of people made in his image, but of a behavior that destroys the image of God. We saw the same thing. If you're a woman, I'm going to help you out. I'm talking about identity. The lesbian identity should never be a part of your options because God says it is wicked and it is a perversion of who he made you to be. Period. I'm helping you out. These are cornerstones of who we are as people. And when you get it wrong, the enemy takes you to very, very bad places. And he breaks your life. He destroys your identity. He confuses who you are. And the sad thing is we have a medical community complicit with absolutely mutilating children's uh, sexual identity and gender in the name of this sexual revolution. And, and again, it should be criminal. I hope we look back at some time and go, what in the world were we thinking? How in the world could we even have treated uh, children, impressionable children, uh, the way we've treated them? God help us. Another reason why you need to get out there and meet some candidates and go out and campaign for them so that none of this is in the school system where your children are studying. All right? Does that make sense? All right. Let's look in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Again, I, we've, we've been in Genesis 1 for about the last four or five weeks. It's so pregnant with, with identity-forming foundations. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, Then God said, Let us make human beings in our image. Notice why, to be like us. I want you to circle some pronouns. We're, we're having all this pronoun controversy. What are God's personal pronouns? Well, I'll tell you, it's us and our this highlights something about the nature of God, because I just said, what are God's pronouns? And I use two plural pronouns, because what you need to understand is the entire Godhead, the triune God, was involved in your creation and my creation, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all attributed to creation. How many of you know God exists in a company of relationship? It's called the Trinity. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit have existed uh, eternally enjoying each other. This is an important foundational fact. So God exists in relationship. He calls us into relationship. Now, I used to always ask the teenagers when I was a youth pastor, why are you here? How did you get here? What's the purpose for your, your existence? Why is anything here that's here? The dirt, the sky, the sun, the moon. Why does anything exist? That's a good question. Evolution doesn't give you that answer, but the Bible gives you that answer. How many of you know God did not create you or me, because he was lonely. God's just sitting up there in heaven. It's lonely up here. Got nobody to hang out with. Just me, myself, and I. And I'm bored, and I really would need to create some people to keep me entertained. How many of you know loneliness is a sign of lack or need? It means you need relationships. God has never suffered lack ever in his entire existence. To be God means to mean you're an overflowing fountain, an infinite fountain. Why did God create this? Ready for this answer? Because God, as an infinite fountain of goodness, we sang about, of greatness, of beauty, 
cannot contain his greatness and has to share, has to overflow his greatness in the creation of little images that point to his greatness. In other words, creation is God gone public. Let me highlight this in an amazing quote. John Piper says this, God's actions, therefore, are never motivated, including his actions to create, are never motivated by the need to meet his deficiencies because he has none, but are always motivated by the passion in God's heart to display his glorious sufficiency, of which is infinite. He does everything that he does, absolutely everything, for one reason, to display his glory. What is his glory? It is the sum total of the beauty of who he is. I'm trying to tell you this. God is so beautiful and so awesome and so good and so glorious, he can't keep it to himself. He creates you and me to enjoy the glory and to enjoy relationship with him. This is stunning. So he creates out of overflow because he simply cannot be contained. Now, if I told you I am so awesome that my genetic pool cannot stay harnessed, all right, and I need to marry my wife so we can have a gazillion kids who highlight my glory, you would all be going, you are a sick narcissist, right? But God's not a narcissist. God is the foundation of everything beautiful and worthy and awesome and true. And when he makes image bearers, he just goes, wow, this is gorgeous. Because you're, you're imaging back something about God's likeness, and it pleases him. I told you that's why the devil hates your guts. Because he sees the image of God, your father. He sees the resemblance and he hates God, and therefore he hates you. Now, in my notes, I've got this little phrase here called the unbelievable privilege of likeness. When God said he made us to be like, uh, he made rather, let us, uh, let us make human beings in our image to be like us, meaning the Godhead, he, in his mind, he wanted some type of correspondence between the creation and the creator. When we talk about correspondence, we're talking about likeness. We're talking about compatibility. Now, I want you to think about this for a minute. If I ask you this question, what kind of a relationship can you have with a rock? Not trying to be philosophical this morning, but just go there with me for a minute. You know, I have a lot of rocks that I've intentionally placed around my yard. They're in my garden. I got big rocks. I got little rocks. I don't talk to my rocks. You, know, you guys talk to your rocks? Okay, good. It's not a good habit to talk to the rocks. But sometimes I go out and I look at the rock and I go, wow, that is a beautiful rock that we have right there in that garden. That's a beautiful rock. But there's no correspondence or very little. The only thing we share in common is we're both created. All right? That's, that's where it ends. So I don't pick up my rock and go, hey, man, how's your day? Because uh, we're not going to get very deep right there, all right? And I'll say, dude, are you tired of being a rock? No, because there's no, there's no correspondence. The rock never even has any self-consciousness. It's an inanimate object, which is why, again, don't insult your real mother by calling Earth Mother Earth, because last time I checked, Mother Earth is not a mother. Mother Earth is an inanimate object made out of matter. So don't insult your mama and don't give Mother Earth some type of power to create or to guide evolution. That's stupid. That's like talking to a rock. Stop it. All right, let me ask you another question. What kind of a relationship can I have with my dogs? 
Oh, now we're talking. <laughs> Let me tell you the extent of my relationship with my one dog, our golden retriever. I love that dog. Joe, you got to go. Awesome dog, as dogs go. But I'll go sit in my chair in the front room, and I won't be seated two seconds. And my golden retriever, Bo, actually, it's not my golden retriever. It's Alicia's dog. I can say her dog. It's really my dog. But anyway, that dog, <laughs> that dog comes in the room with this slimy, wet tennis ball in his mouth. His tail's wagging. Whack, 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 whack. He's just hitting the wall. And he's just there with me doing this. So I grab this slimy tennis ball, and I toss it in the kitchen. And he runs into the kitchen, grabs the tennis ball, comes back to me. Slimy tennis ball. This could go on like for days if I allowed it. That's why they call them golden retrievers. It's in their nature. Now, this dog is loving. This dog is kind. But I've never said, you know, Bo, share, share me your dream for your life. We got the same routine. Out in the morning, pee in the backyard. Grab the, grab the tennis ball, my little thing, throw the tennis ball. He runs and gets it, and then he doesn't retrieve. He lays down in the, in the yard right where he retrieved. He eventually makes his way back, and then we come inside. Oh, now it's time for food. Put the food in, and then he takes a nap. I mean, it's not all that exciting. I love my dog, but the, the reason, here's my, here's my point. The reason it's not that exciting is because the correspondence level is shallow. I mean, my dog cannot express that much in common with me to where we can really go deep and click. You see what I'm saying? So I enjoy my dog, but on a level just higher than a stone. Let me ask you another question. If we go back to Genesis chapter 20 here, Adam is naming all the livestock, the birds of the sky, all the wild animals. But the Bible says there still was no helper right for him. What are we talking about here? We're talking about correspondence. Adam is functioning as a, as a ruler, a reign, someone reigning, someone taking stewardship over creation, and he's naming the animals. But he realizes, ah, there's nothing that, like, really corresponds to me. How many of you know then God did something really cool? This is one of the highlights of Genesis chapter 2. God says in chapter 2, verse 21, so the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While the man slept, the Lord took out one of his ribs, closed up the opening. Then the Lord made a woman from the rib, and he brought her to the man. How I many you know God is the ultimate matchmaker? He makes Eve and fashions Eve to perfectly correspond to Adam. And in verse 23, in the Hebrew, this does not do it justice, in the Hebrew, look at what it says in the, in the uh, NLT, at last, Adam, Adam exclaims, this is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. Now, I often joked around that word woman was simply Adam going, whoa, man, this is awesome. Because all of a sudden, the correspondence level was going off the charts. He's like, now we're talking. In fact, one of the translations says this. Here is someone like me. But how many of you know any marriage would be boring if you married someone exactly like you? Because if you married someone exactly like you, there would be no need for you 
or for the one you've just formed a covenant with. What makes marriage exciting is that there's enough correspondence to make things interesting and enough difference to keep things exciting. In other words, we usually marry people very different from us, but very complementary to us. In fact, I would say this, take it out of the marriage uh, relationship. The reason why there's all this buzz going on and people hugging and shaking hands and sharing your name and all this stuff going on is because God made us for relationship and for community. You don't see a bunch of animals doing that. In fact, my little dog just... She just, I mean, I don't care what moves. She's not very, her first impression is not good. <laughs> Once you get past that yappiness, she's a great dog, but her first impression is not good. <laughs> but we run around hugging each other. How was your week? What's going on? Hey, I was praying for you. I mean, we do that by nature because God made us for relationship. Can I get an amen? amen? Now, check this out. We talked about rocks. In fact, you remember when... Tom Hanks was stranded on that desert island, desert island. Remember the relationship he had with a beach ball or whatever that, volleyball? Volley, thank you for the correction. I, thank you. I mean, it was all that he had, so he used what he had. But how do you know if he would have had a pet dog, it would have been markedly better. If he would have had a spouse, it would have been bearable. But here's a question. If God said he made us in his likeness for relationship, here's, what, here's a question I'm asking. What is our relationship with God like? In other words, we talk about rocks, we talked about animals, we talked about people, but now I'm saying that God said he made us to be like him in his likeness, and the question I'm asking you is how do human beings have anything in common with God? It's a good question, isn't it? Think about that. What do you have in common with God? Hmm. When we talk about the transcendence of God, we emphasize the fact that God's not like us. Remember, the Bible says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, my ways are not your ways, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. In other words, God's saying, you guys don't think like me. But God's saying, I made you for a relationship, so how in the world do sinful, broken people have a relationship with a holy, infinite, awesome, glorious God? It's a great question. Check this out. When God makes us like him, it means there's some form of correspondence by which we can have relationship. And I want you to think about this. If we're completely different, we have no basis for a relationship. If we're completely alike, we have no reason for a relationship. Think about this for a minute. If my wife is exactly like me, why would I marry her? Because, like, we'd be bored. I'd be looking at a mirror image of me, and we think the same way, and we, you know, I mean, that would be, like, so boring. If I'm exactly like God, why would I need a relationship with him? Because I would know everything God's thinking, and I would know everything about him, and vice versa, and so I wouldn't even need a relationship. So how many of you know there has to be enough correspondence for relationship, but enough difference to make things exciting? And that's exactly what God has done. I want you to imagine God's heart for a moment when God creates Adam and Eve after all the other creation. He made the rocks. He made the dogs. But I think in God's heart, he's saying, you know what? I'm excited about making somebody that I can actually have a relationship with. I can enjoy him or her, and they can enjoy me. That's what I think is in God's heart. So check this out. There's two different attributes the Bible talks about when we're talking about the nature and attributes of God. There's communicable attributes and non-communicable attributes. 
Look at the communicable attributes. We're talking about things like love and kindness and goodness, uh, things that we share. So when God tells us in Ephesians, be an imitator of me, what he's saying is, I want you to act like me in the ways that you are capable of acting like me. How many of you have read those one another's in the Bible? Love one another, be kind to one another, forgive one another. How many of you know those are attributes that we share in some measure with God? But then there's non-communicable attributes. Well, what are those, Pastor? That's a big, long word, non-communicable attributes. What's that mean? These are attributes like God's omniscience. How many of you know God knows everything about everything? And his knowledge is always up to date. God knows everything about everything. Do you all know everything about everything? Okay, I didn't think so. How many know God's omnipotent, which means he's all-powerful? Anybody in this room all-powerful? Any superheroes out here today? Okay, good. And God is um, omnipotent, omniscient. What's my third one? Omnipresent. He's everywhere. He never leaves us or forsakes us. We're never out of his sight or out of his care. Anybody omnipresent in this room? Okay, good. No, we have to pay close attention to everything going around us. But here's the beautiful thing. We're able, that last song that we sang was so amazing. We're so complete in the Lord. How many of you have ever lacked wisdom? What does the Bible say if you lack wisdom? Ask. Who are you asking? Your Father, in whose image you are made, and he will give you wisdom. So check this out. We're alike in ways, but we're different in ways, and our differences are what cause us to keep coming together. Have you all figured this out in marriage? Part of the reason you marry your opposite is because the differences keep you coming back together. In other words, I need my wife. There are things about her that, that, that she does amazingly that I don't do. There are ways she sees things that actually help me because I'm not God and I'm not all-knowing. I'm helping somebody out here today. I'm helping a man out here today. I just feel that was the Holy Spirit, all right? Uh, and then she recognizes I've been given to her as her help me. In other words, we, we serve each other and complete each other, her primary role, but I do that in her life as well. Does this make sense to everybody? We're different enough that our differences cause us coming together because we complement each other. I believe this, when we go through life, and life is hard on this side of eternity, the purpose of the hardness and the pain and sometimes the suffering and the ordeals that we go through are not to alienate us from God, but for, to bring us to God so that he can father us. So, Lord, I don't have a clue about what to do. Well, what am I doing right now with the fact that I'm not omniscient? I'm talking to the one who is, which means I'm relating to the creator who's my father, and that's part of my identity so I can move in the wisdom of God at any moment. Who makes that possible? The Holy Spirit. He gives me the mind of Jesus. You all hear me on that. And so when you're going through a difficult time, don't get mad at God. Use it as an opportunity to relate to God and let him father you through the situation. Amen. The goal is, in identity is to know your dad. There, the reason we have such a confused generation today of young people is because many of them have no idea who their dad is. It's important to know who your dad is. In fact, there's an empty place in our hearts to know who our dad is because so much of who we are came through him. And so what do people do? They do all this genealogy stuff, right? And they want to find out where, where's my roots? Where do I come from? 
Let me just tell you something. You'll never know who you ultimately are until you know your Father. Your Heavenly Father. And I'm going to say something bold, and it's controversial, but you only go around once in life, and it's true. If you don't know your Father, you're out of touch with reality. If you don't know your Heavenly Father, you can't know who you are. And to some degree, you'll be living a lie. Because the foundation of identity is knowing your Father. And if you don't have an earthly father, you have a heavenly father. Well, you all have an earthly father, but if you don't know your earthly father, you have a heavenly father, and he is the source of your identity. Check this out. Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. The man and his wife hid themselves in the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Why was God hanging out, walking around in the garden? Now we're speaking anthropomorphically there. That's a big way of saying God doesn't have feet. But God's presence was moving through the garden in a way that they, they could sense it, hear, hear his presence, sense he was coming. What's the whole point of that? Well, why was God hanging out in the garden? Relationship. Now, back in our child-rearing days when we were raising a young, young, young family. We went up to the White Sox game to do a, take in a ballpark, all right? And you guys know when you're walking up to those concrete ramps, kind of working your way up, um, we're all walking our way up. And, you know, you got a lot of kids around. You're all trying to keep them all in tow. And Marion turns to me and she says, where's Katie? Katie at the time was a toddler. And where's Katie is not what you want to hear when there's thousands of people shoulder to shoulder, walking up a ramp. So trying to stay in the Holy Ghost and yet be a concerned parent at the same time. Anybody ever tried to juggle that one before? <laughs> um, I spy her across the ramp, like, oh, there she is. And she sees me, but she's scared because where would daddy go, Right. And she starts making my way while I'm running down to meet her. And I realize those, those, you know, fences there are not like chain link fences. They're space. And she's little. And I start running to her. And right as I go to grab her, she slips through my hand. And I watch her fall two stories and splat on the concrete. And then I woke up. Now, let me tell you, the night before, I was spending time with the Lord, and I was reading Genesis chapter 3, and this is the thought that went through my mind. I said, God, what was it like from your perspective when Adam and Eve, who you created to enjoy, when they turned their back on you and rebelled against you, and when they fell? I just pictured the Lord. You know that picture of Michelangelo with, with, the, with God's hand touching Adam's hand and him becoming a living, living being. I pictured the Lord reaching out like, no, 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 and then slipping through his hands and falling. And I literally sat up in my bed, I mean shot up. Tears were wet on my cheek. 
I shouted out loud, no! And then I realized it was a dream. And I heard the Holy Spirit say to me, that's what I felt like. Oh my gosh, I felt the brokenheartedness of God. The feeling cheated from relationship, the sense of loss in the heart of the Father. And I mean, I've never had an experience like that, and even as I'm sharing it, I feel that experience coming alive in my heart again. I can't tell you how excited I was to know it was a dream and to know that my little precious Katie was okay. But what's it like when God says, I'm going to shape you in my image so that you'll be like us, so that you can have relationship with me forever and ever. And yet there's so many people across the planet who don't know God. And can I just tell you something? God's not mad at you. God's heart breaks for you because there's so much more. And you'll never, ever, ever become who you were meant to be apart from having a relationship with God, which he made possible by the way he designed you as a person so that you could think God's thoughts after him and enjoy him and experience him. The Bible says it this way. If you said, Pastor, you know, what's eternal life? How is a person saved? You're not saved by praying a prayer. Prayer is a vehicle. It it is an expression of faith. But it's not what saves you. This is what salvation is. John chapter 17, verse 3. This is the way to eternal life, God's word says, to know you, God Almighty, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent. Salvation is fundamentally a relationship with the Father. God made you for this. Sin distorted all of this. We're going to talk about the distortion that happens when we've fallen away from God, what it does to the image of God, and how we chase all kind of counterfeit things. But can you feel the heart of God this morning? Anybody that's a parent, anybody that has people that you love, can can you feel the brokenheartedness of God over people that are far from him? If I, as as a human father, could feel what I felt for my children, how much more does the infinite, perfect heart of God beat with affection for a created realm that is alienated from him? And it's not his anger. He's not shaking his fist over us this morning. He's inviting you to relationship with him. And I just want you to think about this. I think sometimes, I think sometimes in my relationship with God, God's God, God's me, and I'm the stone. Hey, my son, come spend some time with me. Hey, come out to worship me. Let's let's worship. Go ahead, raise your voice. Or maybe I go to the dog level. (laughs) Then I go fall asleep in the corner. And God's saying, come, why don't you come join me and be a part of my plan? And I'm over in the corner, man, just doing the dog stuff. Too tired, sleeping, I'm too, too engaged with my tennis balls that I'm so excited about when God's saying, I got something more for you than tennis balls. But you know what? He never gives up on us, does he? And he always invites us out for more. In fact, I, I want to share this. 
What is it that God wants? He wants to be known. Hosea chapter 6, verse 6. I want you to show love, not offer sacrifices. He said, I want you to know me more than I want burnt offerings. Look at God's desire. This is what's going to happen at the coming of, of Christ. The earth is going to be filled with people who know the Lord. Isn't that awesome? And in Jeremiah, he says this, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love and justice and righteousness in the earth. For in these things, God says, I delight. What does God want more than anything from us? He's not your money, your riches, your fame. Your any, he wants you to know him. Can I just tell you, it is an absolute waste of our life to not prioritize knowing God. It is a waste of the human life to not put him in the center. Because at the end of the day, when he says, I want you to know me, what he's saying is, I delight in you, and I want you to delight in who I am. I've told you this before, but it's so, it's so profound. And it's so simple. What is my goal on Sunday morning worship? What am I trying to accomplish by showing up to church on Sunday? Can I liberate all of you religious people? Your attendance here does not impress the creator of the universe or me or anybody else. You don't earn a badge for perfect attendance. God's not a legalist. Do you know when the Holy Spirit starts moving in a church? When people show up because they're passionate lovers of God Almighty. When, when my goal on Sunday morning is to get my broken, selfish, you know, stone-like heart in position to where I can truly enjoy God, which is why he made me. I mean, think about this for a minute. God delights in you. I mean, if I looked at Pastor Dick with the most excited face I possibly can, communicating infinite love on how proud of him I am, how much I love him, how much just being with him brings me joy, that's God's look at you this morning. Amen. The problem is we're stones and we're dogs and we're, we're not getting it and we're not letting the Lord love us. So what do we do in worship? We, we lift our hands because we were created to praise him. We open our mouths and we sing even if that's not our primary gift. Hallelujah. And we, we release the affection of our heart. And I'm just simply trying to say, God, what's happening right now is enjoyment. I love you. I don't know where I would be without you. I don't want to live a second without your presence. In fact, I want more of you. I'm hungry for you, God. I want to enjoy you forever. You're the reason I exist. I want to know this amazing, infinite God. That's, that's worship. And when people are moving in a spirit of worship, you cannot build bu buildings fast enough. We couldn't build, we couldn't put them up fast enough. Because people are hungry to find out who they are and why they're here and to experience the reason for their existence. And it's found in knowing God. 
And when the Holy Spirit's inside of us, he, he creates a passion for God. We can't even love God the way he's worthy of being loved. And I just want to tell you this. If God were completely like us, listen, eternity would be boring. I'm just going to be real with you. I am not that exciting of a person. <laughs> Pastor, let's get together for coffee. Great. 30 minutes, you'll know me. We can have a cup of coffee, you'll know me. I'm not that complicated. If you had to spend eternity with just me, you wouldn't like it. Even in my glorified state, I'm limited. I'm limited. Like Amra, let's spend eternity together. I just, dude, I just want to go deep. I want to know your heart. I want to know your dreams. How many billion years would that take? <laughs> I'm joking. How many minutes would that take? That's not a testimony of Amra's shallowness. It's a testimony of our finiteness. But are you ready for this? Jesus. I want to know. I want to know your heart. I want to know what you think of me. I want to know what your dreams are. Like, where's eternity going? What's, what's, how long would it take for me to spend time with Jesus to probe the depths of his greatness? Eternity. That's why heaven's going to be awesome. And my joy is not just being able to spend one-on-one -on -one with one person, but how many of you know, now we're like, hey, are you busy next week? Well, how about the following week? Uh, we're, we work with limited schedules and time, right? Eternity. This little hug time is a foretaste of forever. Because the relationships we're going to build this way and the relationship with the Father is going to be off the charts. Now, I got more potatoes to give, and this wonderful gal's coming up to tell me, Pastor, that's what that means. That's, that's code. That means shut up. <laughs> nah, she wouldn't say that. She delights in me, don't you? I thought so, and I, and I delight in her. All right, I'm done. You can start playing. We practice this so it's well-tuned and finely oiled. All right. Can you all stand to your feet? I want to pray. And I'd like our ministry team to come up. I just want to be real with you. Uh, probably the last third of this message didn't make the notes because it's the Holy Spirit. And I feel like what God's after today is for people in this room right now, I'm talking to you, if there's a block in your relationship with God and you're just dry or you feel distant from God or the devil's just been beating your brains out with shame, the devil's a liar, God's arms are wide open, he's so excited about you. And you're a one-of-a-kind son or daughter. It's not like he's got a gazillion of them to choose from. There's only one you, and he delights in you, and he enjoys you, and he wants you to enjoy him back. And I just feel like there's some of you today, either you don't know Christ, you've never submitted to him, or you're just distant right now. And Maybe you're just numb. Maybe you're in a dry season. Why don't you let somebody just pray with you and, and invite the presence of God Almighty to touch you. 
And if you're brand new here today, I, I mean this from the bottom of my heart, don't just slip out. I would love to, to shake your hands, get, get a name, introduce myself, and, and just welcome you and get to know you better before you leave. Don't forget also, we've got the, the candidates out there who would love to chat with you if you're interested at all in helping and supporting what they're doing. So, Father, we just submit our lives to you. Thank you for being the very cornerstone of who we are. We want to know our Father so we can be just like you. So, Lord, help us with that. I pray for everybody in this room that they would know how valuable they are, how precious they are, how loved they are, how seen they are, because they're made to be like you. Lord, may we treasure these truths. May they form us and shape us as we live out our lives in this world. And God, most of all, may we bring you glory and joy and pleasure. It's in your mighty name we pray. And everybody said, amen, amen. Love you like crazy. Have a great week, all right? If you need prayer, come on down.